2: that bill were the law today, I'd shut down the border right now and fix it quickly. As Trump tries to kill it. There is zero chance I will support this horrible open borders betrayal of America.
1: And new reporting on Trump's frayed alliances with top Senate Republicans.
2: Don't have any announcement to make on the presidential election. And when I change my mind about that, I'll let you know. <laughs> Plus, two front fight. Nikki Haley, did anybody ever hear of her? As Trump
1: tries to turn to Biden, Haley turns up the heat.
3: He's not fighting for the American people.
1: And are Trump's legal troubles finally catching up with them? And on the attack.
2: The only loser I see is Donald Trump.
1: The president heads south. As he tries to ease progressive protests. Inside Politics, best reporting from inside the corridors of power starts now. Good morning and welcome to Inside Politics Sunday. I'm Manu Raju. Former President Donald Trump has not even seen the text of a major deal just secured between President Joe Biden and a bipartisan group of senators aimed at securing the southern border with Mexico. In fact, it hasn't even been released to the public yet. It's supposed to later this week. Yet that has not stopped Trump from ratcheting up his demands that Republicans kill the measure in Congress, as he makes immigration and the border front and center in his campaign and wants to deny Biden a legislative accomplishment on an issue polls say is one of the president's biggest vulnerabilities. Now, after privately calling Republicans and urging them to reject the plan, the former president has been increasingly vocal in public railing against the deal on social media and demanding that Republicans only accept a, quote, perfect plan that gives them, quote, everything they want.
2: As the leader of our party, there is zero chance I will support this horrible open borders betrayal of America. A lot of the senators are trying to say respectfully they're blaming it on me. I said, that's okay, please blame it on me, please. Because they were getting ready to pass a very bad bill and I'll tell you what, a bad bill is, I'd rather have no bill than a bad bill.
1: Again, the bill has not been released. Now, for Biden, the soon-to-be-unveiled bill represents a major shift. He's embracing it despite progressive backlash.
2: If that bill were the law today, I'd shut down the border right now and fix it quickly. And Congress needs to get it done. Now, the
1: details which I first reported on Friday would require the federal government to temporarily block almost all migrants from entering the U.S. when daily crossings reach an average of 5,000 per day in any given week. The border would be closed to most migrants until the U.S. sees fewer than 2,000 approach the border per day over a two-week span. Now, this comes after crossings reached a record 300,000 last month. And crucially for Ukraine the bill would be paired with billions of dollars to help in its war against Russia. Now, let's break down all this with our great panel this morning, Laura Barone-Lopez of PBS NewsHour, Politico's Burgess Everett, and Molly Ball from The Wall Street Journal. Good morning. Morning. Another busy, eventful weekend and also a critical week ahead. Burgess, you're in the Capitol uh, walking those halls every day with me talking to Republicans about all of this. Trump's opposition coming out so strongly to it. How much does that sway... Republicans in the Senate. We know it already has in the House. I mean, House Republican leaders are very making very clear they are on the same page as Trump. Is that the same in the Senate GOP? And are there 11 or more Republican senators who would vote for this to advance the measure?
4: Yeah, I mean, we could see this coming for several weeks as he sort of attacked even the idea of negotiating and saying we need a perfect bill even before we had um, some of these details. Um, Trump's influence is not as strong in the Senate Republican conference, but it is still quite strong. We know he talks to... Plenty of these conservatives, people like. Um, J.D. Vance and even people like Lindsey Graham who are likely to support this deal. Um, so I think it's going to turn into a, a real big whipping operation and a grudge match between him and Senator McConnell, the Republican leader. Um, they are going to have to fight it out and see who can get more Republicans on board to their position. There's 49 of them. The goal has always been to get 25 of the 49 to support this. Um, there's a bunch of probably a dozen that will definitely support it, a dozen who definitely won't. And the, so everything's going to be fought there right in the middle between mm-hmm. McConnell and Trump, it's kind of... old. Uh,
1: Yeah, two old rivals, which we'll talk about later in the show. Nice tease for that segment later in the show. But look, the the challenge is going to be for a lot of these on-the-fence Republicans side with Trump or side with Biden, and that's exactly the choice Donald Trump is trying to make as he rails against it.
2: I didn't have the border to run on because I did such a good job with the border that the border wasn't an issue. And now I'm saying the border is in play like it's never been in play before. Now we can talk about the border because it's never, ever been worse than it is now. I mean, in, in that
1: soundbite, he's essentially admitting that they want the he wants a campaign on the border. He wants a campaign on the border and perhaps a, a deal here could take that away. He's sort of saying the quiet part out loud.
5: Absolutely. I mean, that's always sort of his style. And this has been his signature issue for all eight years that he's been on the political stage. He launched his candidacy with a broadside against immigration and immigrants. And so this uh, there's a feeling, I think, that the way events are unfolding in this campaign has really played into Trump's hands politically and that the worse things look on the border, the better he looks, given that most voters in polls believe that he's stronger on this issue than President Biden. So he clearly he's saying it out loud. He doesn't see any upside in giving Biden a big win on this very, very difficult issue. Uh, but then again, that does give a political uh talking point to, to Biden and the Democrats to to say when and if trump does become the, the nominee you know he he doesn't want to actually fix things there mm-hmm. was an opportunity here to fix things and and he'd rather just just let things
1: yeah go. and that's the thing right republicans have been railing on the border for three years saying biden has not done enough they've been going down the border having press conferences there now there's a chance to do something yeah maybe not go as far as you want but potentially do something and that is the argument that a lot of the republican senators have been making who've been supporting this including senator james langford who was on the sunday shows this morning pushing back on the GOP criticism.
4: Now it's interesting a few months later when we're finally getting to the end, they're like, oh, just kidding. I actually don't want to change in law because it's a presidential election year. There are a number of us uh, who won't be looking uh, to uh, third parties in assessing uh, the propriety of passing this uh, bipartisan proposal.
3: I just reject the idea that we should reserve a, a crisis for a better time to solve it. I don't see how we have a better story to tell when we miss the one opportunity we have to fix it. I mean, Republicans were
1: united over the border, now they're divided over
6: it. They are, and I mean, to Molly's point, I think that this could very well end up playing well for Biden because even if a Senate deal is reached, uh, once it reaches the House, House Republicans appear ready to just kill it, as, as everyone has reported. And if they kill it, uh, which maybe will make progressives happy, it allows President Biden to say on the campaign trail, I was willing to concede a lot, because he was willing to concede so much in this border deal that the left flank is, is really angry at him. You know, they essentially feel as though he's totally changing, potentially in this deal, asylum law, Mm -hmm. which, you know, is a right right now under U.S. law for migrants, whether they're entering at a port of entry or entering between ports of entry. It's a right that they have to claim, and this law, this bipartisan deal would potentially totally change that. So it's big concessions on Biden's part, and it allows him to, to essentially make that argument against Trump. One thing I find striking about the clip you played from President, former President Trump was that he said that he didn't campaign on it after 2016. That's not true. He campaigned on it in 2018. Yeah. Campaigned because on it the
1: caravans are coming across the caravans. border, right? Also,
6: when Republicans had the majority in the House and the Senate under Trump, they essentially killed their own mm-hmm. deal on immigration. So when they have tried to do this in previous times, they've also not... not actually got yeah.
1: it. And and, and don't discount the progressive black class, which you suggested there, which we're going to talk also about later in the show, Biden, how he's going to deal with the left. That's a that's a big issue here. And that this could certainly raise it because of the concessions he has made so much about the criticism about these negotiations, they've been going on for a month in the, months in the Senate, four months or so behind closed doors. There's been very little information that has come out of it. And that has essentially allowed the right Trump, others to say the characterize it in a certain way because there have been certain leaks and they have decided to you know, seize on some of those leaks and suggest one way or the other this bill uh, should be killed. And that has been a problem if you listen to Republican senators in particular who say they needed more information about these talks.
2: The lack of negotiating skills is profound from leadership.
4: It's a total shambles, it's a total disaster. I mean, it's totally disastrous. Embarrassing. You know, he's repeatedly asked, Republic asked us to support a bill that nobody's seen. I mean, it's just,
0: I, you know, it's a terrible way to do business.
2: One of the gentlemen under the interstate living in a refrigerator box knows more about it than I do. What do you say to folks who criticize the lack of information
1: so far that's been provided about this negotiations?
3: Yeah, I haven't heard that criticism.
1: she hasn't heard that criticism but that has been the criticism in the senate and that's been a challenge because people have already built in their decision to kill it because of you know the pressure they've been building given the lack of information out there.
4: Yeah, and I mean, most of those uh, folks that you just played are, are they, they have two things in common, except for Senator Kennedy. They voted against Senator McConnell as leader, and they don't really support more aid for Ukraine. So yeah. they were automatic no votes, and they have been allowed and, and characterizing this negotiation from the beginning. Um, that's allowed them to do things like, say, this will allow 150,000 border crossings a month. Well, actually, it would probably shut down the border and not reopen it until they were well below that. Yeah. So there's already sort of an information war that's being fought before this bill is even out.
1: And and before we go to break, uh, the House GOP is moving forward and impeaching Alejandro Mayorkas. Mike Johnson has said he's going to come to the floor very soon. Just this morning, there were two articles of impeachment that they announced that they would go out for. And uh, the question is, you know, for House Republicans, is they're moving to impeach Mayorkas. He's the one who helped negotiate this deal with the Senate. So right. how could they possibly go along with someone they're trying to charge with a high crime and misdemeanor who had his imprint on
6: this? Yeah, Mayorkas has been responding a lot to the pressure in terms of trying to find ways to make sure that border crossings are down, being involved heavily in these Senate negotiations. But also in December, he went down to Mexico to try to find ways for Mexico to step up and make sure that border crossings uh, that, that less migrants were coming to the border and was actually somewhat successful in that because, yes, in December, uh, crossings were up. This month, crossings have gone down.
1: And look, and it seems Republicans in the House, they seem to be confident they have the votes to impeach him. That would be historic. Only one other time in American history is a cabinet secretary being impeached. We'll see if it happens here. Okay, coming up a jury deciding whether Trump must pay the writer E. Jean Carroll $83.3 million for defamation. So what is his primary rival, Nikki Haley, saying about it?
0: This podcast is supported by Sleep Number. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores? Sleep Number does that. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.
2: I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, CNN's chief medical correspondent.
1: We have some breaking news just into CNN. Three American service members were killed and at least two dozen were injured in a drone attack overnight in Jordan. I want to get straight to CNN's Natasha Bertrand for this story. Uh, Natasha, what are you learning?
3: Yeah, Monday, this is a significant escalation in the attacks that we have seen by these groups against U.S. and coalition personnel in Iraq and Syria. We're learning that three American service members were killed at least two dozen were injured in a drone attack overnight on a small US outpost in Jordan and this is the first time that US troops have been killed by enemy fire in the Middle East since the beginning of the Gaza war attack took place at a small outpost called Camp 2 in Jordan it's right near the border with Syria obviously this is a significant escalation of an already very tense situation in the Middle East and it raises a lot of questions about how the US is going to respond Previously, in these kinds of attacks, uh, the uh, US service members have not experienced significant injuries. There have not been significant casualties in the more than 150 attacks these Iran-backed groups have launched on these bases in the Middle East uh, since October 7th. Uh, but this, of course, marks the first time that three uh, that service members have actually been killed from such an attack. So this is really a huge moment, a huge escalation uh, in this moment and how the U.S. response is going to be something that we will have to watch very
1: closely. Ah, It's terrible news. Uh, Thank you for bringing us three U.S. service members killed in that drone attack in Jordan, Natasha Bertrand. Thank you for that, and we'll be back with you, Natasha, if and when you hear more information about it and the question of the U.S. response, something we'll be tracking very closely as well. Okay, shifting gears back here to the United States and on the campaign trail, it's been a busy week. Trump was in Nevada, where he's favored in Haley's home state of South Carolina, but her attacks on his mental acuity have clearly gone under his skin. He continued to scorch-earth attacks against her just
2: yesterday. Nikki Haley, did anybody ever hear of her? Yeah. Bird brand. Nikki. I believe she's unelectable. Nikki is a continuing, she's got a continuing plan in a shameless, radical left craziness, because she's basically a Democrat. She's almost a radical left Democrat, which is hard to win elections like that.
1: Now, this as Trump wraps up another week where he spent more time in the courtroom than on the campaign trail. A federal jury deciding Trump must pay writer E. Jean Carroll $83.3 million for defamation when he denied her allegations of sexual assault. A jury found him previously, previously found him liable for that abuse. Uh, our panel is back uh, with us. Now, what is interesting in, on this is how Nikki Haley has responded to all of these, these uh, about the $83.3 million, the fact that Donald Trump was found liable by a jury for sexual abuse, and she says she has not really paid much attention to it. In fact, listen to what she said uh, this morning and on the campaign trail.
5: Donald Trump was totally unhinged. Unhinged. He was a bit sensitive. And I think that it, and I think his feelings were hurt, but he threw a temper tantrum out on stage, seriously. Threw a total temper tantrum.
1: Okay, so she was talking there about her general criticism about Donald Trump being unhinged. She has not really made an issue about whether or not, you know, about this, the fact that Donald Trump was found liable of sexual abuse. She said that, you know, she hasn't really been paying attention to it do you as a presidential candidate going against the frontrunner who has been accused and found liable of something so serious, not make this an issue on the campaign trail?
5: That's right. I believe she called it a distraction. And it really illustrates the extent to which uh, Trump and all of his uh, Republican rivals have metabolized all of his legal difficulties as an advantage for him. He has made that the case they have made that the case they have continued to defend him every time he's indicted every time there's a new uh, civil verdict like this we could be getting another one this week in the in the civil fraud trial in new york and of course many many court dates coming up on the calendar but ever since last march when the first indictment came down and they all defended him uh, that has been the way republican base voters have processed this they have processed Uh, The idea that the legal system is rigged against Trump and he's a victim here. And, you know, I was in Iowa and New Hampshire these last few weeks attending Trump's events, attending other candidates' events. And it's a pretty unanimous sentiment that they feel like none of this, uh, they're not persuaded that any of this either makes him less electable or is his fault in any way. Mm -hmm. So you hear Haley continuing with that trend and trying to focus her attacks in other ways and trying to make, she is making much more of a characterological critique of him than she has previously. She's really sharpened her rhetoric, but she's still not going after these verdicts.
1: Yeah, and just so our viewers see exactly what she was saying, this is what she said this morning.
5: Really, I don't know what all the court cases are. I haven't paid attention to what he's won, what he's lost, what he's fighting for, any of that. He's not talking about what the American people want. I know there's 91 charges, but I truly have been focused on running for president and not these other things. All that time that he's spending in a courtroom defending himself, he's not
0: fighting for the American people.
1: So she may be stepping, sidestepping stepping the ad, but as Marley said, he's making she's making these increasingly sharp character attacks against him. And that is getting under Trump's skin. I mean, his if you just get a sense of Trump's mindset when you look at his Truth Social page, he's going after her, calling her names, bird brain, et cetera, et cetera. But this is what Republicans are concerned about. The longer she stays in, the more he gets pulled into a back and forth with Haley. He could choose to ignore her because he's on his way to the nomination, but he's chosen not
6: to. Yeah, when has Trump ever ignored uh, someone that has gone after him, especially since she's attacking him on his acuity? And that is her main line of attack right now because she isn't willing to say what uh, anything about his character or about the substance of those 91 felony counts. I find it really remarkable that she says that she hasn't paid attention to them even when you know the search of Mar-a-Lago occurred. She was out there tweeting d- a defense of him saying that you know the justice department was being weaponized against him but also the other person who loves this and the back and forth between haley and trump is joe biden Mm -hmm. because president biden even though he is trying to say that the race is very much between him and Trump, he likes that Trump is getting dragged into these side fights with Haley and thinks that it's potentially helping him as he starts to solidify this contrast with the former president. And the big
1: question is how long can Haley hang on here? Will she make it to her home state of South Carolina, which is the end of February? Uh, The question is money, of course. She's, her, her campaign team, Trump's campaign team, are meeting with GOP mega donors in Florida later this week. And then you just get a sense of. The, the calendar. If you look at the calendar, the, there are lots of states that so is not playing in yet. You know, we'll see if she's able to hang on to any of those Super Tuesday states uh, and if she has the money to do so. Uh, uh, Burgess, what do you make of her campaign and the way she has tried to, you know, increase these character attacks now, this yeah. late in the campaign
4: season? I mean, I go back to the 2016 campaign, which you and I covered when some of these senators were running against Donald Trump. Uh, Marco Rubio and Ted Cruz, I feel like she's having a similar moment. Uh, Marco Rubio, he had this brief moment where he was really focusing on Trump's character. Ted Cruz had a longer moment, but it was never sort of the one-on-one contest that Nikki Haley has with Trump now. So Mm -hmm. the question to me is, Rubio and Cruz never really were able to sustain those attacks, even though they also got under Trump's skin. Haley has an opportunity to do that because it's just her and him in the race now. And so I I wonder, can she keep this up for a whole month into South Carolina? If if she can, it's going to be a really interesting race. But other Republicans have generally folded when they've been in this situation. Yeah,
1: that's that's such a good point. And also, what I've been finding interesting in some of these exit polls in the early states, and Iowa was an entrance poll, and New Hampshire was an exit poll, but it was, the story was the same. Trump supporters are just so much more committed than Haley supporters. They made decisions a long time ago to when to vote for Donald Trump. 58% and 59% in Iowa and New Hampshire made their decisions before, just a few days before the polls closed. Essentially, these are not, late. these people have decided a long time ago that they're going to support Donald Trump, which makes her path even narrower.
5: That's right, but I think the other important piece of data out of those exit and entrance polls is the, the, that passionate support that Trump has from his supporters, he doesn't have a lot of non-passionate, he doesn't have a lot of soft support. And in fact, in both of those states, we saw nearly 20% of Republican voters saying they could not support Trump in a general election, not to mention the independents who we saw come out overwhelmingly mm-hmm. for Haley in New Hampshire and power her to within 11 points of Trump so you know, I was with Trump on primary night in Nashua, New Hampshire, on Tuesday, uh, when he got up and made that very grumpy, uh, growling sort of uh, diatribe. Not a victory speech. Not. It was supposed to be a victory speech, and all he could do was complain about the fact that that Haley didn't concede and didn't, you know, uh, bow down and kiss the ring, as, yeah. as I think many people expected she might. Yeah. Uh, and, and so while she still has a very difficult path ahead, but. Speech was the greatest gift he could have given her. Yeah, And we okay. have really seen a new spring in her step on the campaign trail. She was flagging yeah. a little bit, wasn't super high energy. It
1: finally gave her something to week. seize on here And now you really Sundays. see,
5: yep, yeah. she's gone Fine. all in. She's, she's made the decision to go for broke, and I think we're seeing a newly energetic campaign now.
1: Yeah, will it make a difference? That's another question. All right, coming up, House Republican leaders are all on the Trump train. So what are top GOP senators saying about Trump's march to the nomination? My new reporting, next. Just to follow up, do you feel you need to mend your relationship with the former president if he wins the nomination?
2: Uh, I, I don't have any news to make today. We're all watching New Hampshire with great interest.
1: It's been three, more than three years since Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell and Donald Trump last fo- spoke. In fact, McConnell tries to avoid even uttering Trump's name in public at all. A feud stemming from the aftermath of the January 6th attack and Trump's role in provoking it. Now McConnell is facing the reality that Trump is likely to be back at the top of the ticket and the two may be forced to work together if he wins the White House. My new reporting today with Melanie Zanona outlines what Republicans are saying about McConnell and Trump and also how his potential successors are handling Trump's rise. Now, the GOP frontrunner has the full support of the House Republican leadership, but McConnell and minority whip John Thune have not endorsed Trump yet. And Senator John Cornyn waited until last week in New Hampshire to fall in line. Only John Barrasso endorsed Trump, and that was just days ahead of his Iowa win. Our panel is back. Uh, so... Obviously this all stemmed from, just to remind viewers about the back and forth, we're not just making this up. This is a real bad blood between Trump and McConnell and it's all about January 6th.
2: The mob was fed lies. They were provoked by the president and other powerful people. There's no question, none, that President Trump is practically and morally responsible for provoking the event of the day, because Mitch McConnell is a loser. Mitch McConnell is a disgrace. Do you want to see a new Republican leader in the U.S. Senate? Do you want to see McConnell oh, subside? To have that. No, we have to have that.
1: And not to forget, he also has gone after Elaine Chao, McConnell's wife, who served in his cabinet, rather racist posts, uh, calling her, uh, say she's a Taiwanese immigrant. He says that she, you know, he says calls her China-loving Coco Chow. He said that multiple times, Burgess. Does McConnell want to serve as Republican leader if Trump is president again? And do you think that he will serve as leader beyond
4: this term? What is your reporting telling I you? mean, I think it's a real question mark. Uh, he's pointedly not said he's going to run for leader again after this term, which ends at the end of the year. He said after those health scares last year that he would serve the remainder of his leadership term, yeah. which is Expires and declined
1: to point. say whether or not he would continue.
4: Right, exactly. Right. So uh, that's what sparked all this succession talk. That's why you have John Cornyn's name up on the screen. He's not even in elected leadership yet, but he's part of this three-John group who could succeed, uh, Senator McConnell uh, along with John Thune and John Cornyn. And you can get the real contrast of, of McConnell, who will not utter Trump's name. You have Barrasso endorsing Trump before the rest, Cornyn going from Trump can't get elected to endorsing him, and Thune kind of taking McConnell's side. but. Uh, more addressing, he'll he'll address that Trump is gaining steam, but still has not endorsed him. Yeah. So you can see all this playing out right in front of you, and part of that is because of that indecision on whether McConnell would run again. I I have a hard time believing he would want to serve as leader with Trump as president. Uh, It it would require him to essentially go back on many of the things that he said about Trump. And and, uh, I think it would probably, in his view, tarnish his legacy. However, he hasn't said that. So at this point, um, it's a lot of speculation.
1: It it really is. And look, you talked about the three Johns, as they're known in the Capitol. I put the question to them about Donald Trump last week. In the prospect of Trump as your nominee and potentially president, you have not had the most peachy relationship with him. Can you work with him?
3: We can you work with everybody, even if you're leader. <laughs> well, that's a hypothetical. After a primary, there needs to be a broader appeal uh, than just to primary voters. You can't win with just your your own base. I think it's important to unify behind the candidate, and uh, I respect the the voters' choice in Iowa and New Hampshire.
2: It's important to all work together for the betterment of the country, and I am 100 percent convinced that the Republicans will work together and unify with President Trump for the betterment of the country.
1: I mean, it's interesting, just the difference in the way the leadership has handled him, especially between the House and the Senate House, uh, completely on Trump's train. Speaker Johnson has endorsed him and has touted his victories here. You're not hearing that on the Senate side.
6: No, that's right. And Annalise Stefanik, uh, a part of House leadership, may very well end up being Trump's vice president. I mean, is a forceful... Act- Uh, supporter of his. But, yeah, the Senate is a totally different picture, as you and Burgess well know. And what's also striking is I think Senator Thune has told to both of you at different points that, you know, he's really concerned about Trump's electability. And you heard a little bit that also from Senator Cornyn right there, because Trump has not really demonstrated in any of the cycles previously that he's run in that he does pivot to a more general election strategy. Mm -hmm. He very much focuses on turning out his base or turning out potentially new voters. And Right now, there is, as Molly referred to earlier, A segment of Republicans and a segment of independents, 20%, 30% or so, that say that if Trump is convicted of any one of those uh, crimes, that they are not going to support him. And that's who Joe Biden is going to be focusing on in these swings. And how
1: will the leaders deal with that, if that does, in fact, happen? What's interesting, and we're talking to senators about Trump and GOP leaders and McConnell, they're divided that, about whether they actually have a relationship even matters. One of McConnell's critics, Josh Hawley, who's trying to push him out of leadership, I asked him about the trump mcconnell feud if when you look at the leadership elections in the fall is that going to be essential for you that the person needs to have a close relationship or any relationship with trump to support them you know, by that point
4: i mean if we've got a, a newly or a re-elected donald trump you know i think it'll be absolutely vital i mean for whoever you gotta work with them right mm-hmm. so i think you can't have a republican leader in the senate who doesn't want to work with the president of his own party who's who's come to office.
1: Can McConnell serve as leader with Trump as president? Oh, I don't know. I'm not going to support him. And I asked a Senator Tom Tillis, who had a different view about it. He he asked, he has said there are, there are going to be people who are that are 100% aligned with Trump. Some are going to be 100%, maybe not aligned to him, I'm talking to about GOP senators. He said the rest are vast majority in the middle. But he made the point, these are all transactional members. At the end of the day, they're pragmatists. Mitch McConnell could put aside these issues if he wanted to. The question is, can Trump? Will he just blow up what they're planning to do when they try to put together a legislative package? Like he's doing on immigration. <laughs>
5: <laughs> well, look, I think there's two things going on here number one republicans can taste that senate majority right they have a very favorable map they thought they were going to win it last time and what got in the way donald trump and the endorsees who were just a little too far out there to win those key senate races republicans are worried that that could happen again and once again those sort of reverse trump coattails mm-hmm. could deny them the senate majority a second time yeah but i think the other thing that's happening is you know we're talking about the future we're talking about next year Right now, in this moment, Mitch McConnell is losing his grip on the Senate caucus because of this fractured relationship with Trump. He wants so, that Ukraine funding to be his his final legacy, and he is not able to get it over the, the finish line. And part of the reason is that the caucus is split, and so many Republicans are more on the Trump side on, on some of these policies.
1: It's really remarkable to see that. And I want to pause this conversation because we want to get more on our breaking news. There were three U.S. Army troops were killed and at least a dozen injured overnight in Jordan near the border with Syria. CNN's White House reporter Priscilla Alvarez is covering President Biden in Columbia, South Carolina. Priscilla, the deaths of these service members is a significant escalation, obviously a very tragic outcome. What are you hearing from the president?
7: Mano, we just got a statement from President Biden moments ago in which he says, quote, America's heart is heavy. He goes on to say, while we are still gathering the the facts of this attack, we know it was carried out by radical Iran-backed militant groups operating in Syria and Iraq. The statement goes on to call those three American service members patriots. And it ends with this, saying, we will carry on their commitment to fight terrorism and have no doubt we will hold all those responsible to account at a time and in a manner of our choosing. Of course, Manu, this is a significant incident that comes amid concerns about escalating tensions in the Middle East. This is something that U.S. officials have tried to avoid and said that they want, they did not want to see this conflict widen. How this incident changes, that still remains to be seen, but it is significant. And the president saying in this statement that he will hold those who carried out these attacks accountable. I should also note, uh, Manu, that earlier This morning in a pre-recorded interview, Biden's top military advisor said that his advice to President Biden since October 7th has been centered around protecting U.S. forces and taking away Hamas's capability. Now, again, Manu, we're here in South Carolina where President Biden is on the trail. All of this, though, coming as he uh, looks forward to 2024.
1: Yeah, and obviously a significant escalation. Well, the president suggesting there may be a response. We'll check in more with you later, Priscilla Alvarez. Thank you for that report. Coming up, more Inside Politics next.
2: Imagine what would have happened if there'd been no black church all those periods of darkness that was President Joe Biden speaking to
1: church corps in South Carolina less than an hour ago. He's trying to win back support from black voters there while also taking aim at Donald Trump. My panel is back here to break down the president's strategy. I mean, so much of the, what the president is trying to do is deal, build back his coalition, which is not just dealing with black voters, Hispanic voters, but also... His handling of the Israel-Hamas war. We've seen a deterioration of support among young voters, among progressive voters, and just in general, just to give viewers a sense of how viewers are, how voters are viewing his handling of the Israel-Hamas war. Just 26% approve of his handling of the war uh, right now. You're seeing also just protesters interrupting him in event after event. How is the the Biden team? dealing with the fact that there's so much dissatisfaction on the left on this
6: issue? Well, they're struggling with that a bit right now, because they really do want to uh, make sure that another key part of their coalition, young voters, which helped Biden win in a number of the battleground states, that those young voters come back to him, you know, by November. And he's had trouble finding ways to engage with the Muslim and Arab community, and some of the Muslim leaders I've spoken to said that they really want to see him get out there into these battleground states Mm -hmm. to address uh, the Israel-Hamas war, but that right now, the way his policy is towards Israel and towards Gaza is making that so a lot of these leaders don't wanna meet with him. Mm -hmm. And a lot of young voters aren't necessarily listening to Biden because they feel as though his policy hasn't changed. And so you're starting to see the administration uh, at the White House level, not just the campaign level, but the White House, really wanting to try to find a way to get this uh, conflict resolved as quickly as possible. I mean,
1: Do you think that those voters, like in Michigan, where there's a huge issue in Michigan, Are those voters who are angry at him, the Muslim community in particular, are they gone for good for the Biden team or is there a chance for them to win them back?
5: You know, a lot of them are saying that there's no way that they come back just based on the policy. And I think, you know, to Laura's point, there is really very little doubt in the Biden White House that he's correct on the policy. He he is not, no one uh, inside the administration is second guessing the policies uh, that Biden has pursued, although we have seen some internal discord uh, on the staff level. on the other hand i talked to some democrats who worry that the campaign and the administration are a little bit in denial mm-hmm. about the problems how deep the problems are with those young voters with black and brown voters with the voters that they were already having trouble getting enthusiasm with uh, and uh, there's a feeling i think uh that that those voters just have to come home mm-hmm. right? right That they're not going to vote for trump that certainly if what you care about uh, is it how the administration treats, you know, the Middle East and, and, and Muslims at home and abroad. There's no way you could
1: vote for a Donald Trump But could presidency. they vote for a third party or sit out? That's sit a out huge concern. Or do they vote concern. for a
5: third party? And, 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 and there's and, a feeling like the, the campaign is maybe not taking that seriously enough.
1: And the question, too, is will this immigration deal that we've been reporting on all morning, we talked about the divisions on the right. There's going to be divisions on the left, too. Yeah. No question about it. I want you listen to Senator Padilla of California. What he said to me as they were anticipating this deal to be released. The president, of course, in the middle of a re-election campaign, how concerned should he be of angering progressives, angering Hispanics, angering his own party if he gives in too much on this negotiation?
0: Yeah, look, all the more reason to be serious and thoughtful about solutions. Uh, Returning to uh, Trump's playbook, you know, Trump's greatest hits when it comes to border security is not the answer to the problem. In fact, it'll make the problem worse.
1: I mean, that's the, anyway, how much blowback can we expect from liberal senators on this deal?
0: I
4: think you've hear, heard the same process complaints from them that conservatives have, which is they haven't been included and they don't know what's going on. And so there's going to be a lot of hand-wringing about that. Whether it turns into no votes, I'm not sure. And back to your other point about the Hamas war, um, there's going to be a couple flashpoints there aid for uh, Gaza is going to mm-hmm. be debated in this package, as may uh, aid for Israel and whether it should be conditioned. Uh, so there, there's a couple of big yeah. pivot points coming up on this legislation. Yeah,
1: that's such a good point. We keep focusing on the other issues, but that Israel aid is going to be a huge division within the Democratic Party. All right, coming up, Senator, Senator John Fetterman is not holding back on his indicted fellow Democrat, Bob Menendez. And Menendez is now responding. He called you a schoolyard bully. What's your
3: response? I've been calling for that sleaze ball has to go. And I don't know why we have to get rid of Santos uh, and we would keep somebody like him around.
1: Senator John Fetterman has been by far the most outspoken critic of fellow Democratic Senator Bob Menendez since Menendez was first indicted back in September on bribery and fraud charges. Menendez is accused of aiding the Egyptian and Qatari governments in exchange for gold bars and lavish gifts. He has pleaded not guilty. Now, Fetterman was the first of his colleagues to call for Menendez to resign and wants him expelled from the Senate, even endorsing one of Menendez's primary opponents in New Jersey, Congressman Andy Kim. Now, Fetterman, who hails from neighboring Pennsylvania, has also introduced a resolution to deny Menendez access to classified briefings. He told me he plans to try to force a vote this week if the matter isn't dealt with internally. And that would force a senator, potentially Menendez himself, to object on the floor and block its consideration. If not, it would pass. Do you think that he should be barred by the leadership from attending these classified briefings? yeah I, I think
3: it should be like, hey look like, you know what uh, that's a minimum I mean, obviously, I had hoped that they would have chuck him by now but but if that's not going to happen, something is going to happen, thankfully that his trial is now in a little over three months from now, and then You know, like, that'll handle it. The director of the CIA are now being involved in negotiations with the two nations that Menendez is is accused of being a foreign agent for, and he's getting that kind of classified briefings. I don't believe that should be allowed, and it certainly shouldn't be um, uh, allowed to continue.
1: Now, Menendez has attended at least two classified briefings since his indictment and he's defended his right to be there as a sitting senator. I caught up with Menendez this past week and asked him what he made of Fetterman's comments and attempt to block him from briefings. His answer, quote, he's a schoolyard bully. Now, here's what Fetterman had to say in response. I asked Menendez about you today, he
3: called you a schoolyard bully. What's your response? And, And I call him about to be a felon.
1: His trial is set to begin May 6th. That's it for Inside Politics Sunday. Up next, State of the Union with Jake Tapper and Dana Bash. That, thanks again for sharing your Sunday morning with us. We'll see you next time.
0: When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number Smart Beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level.